Welcome or welcome back to Tea and Tangents with Tara. On this week's episode, we have Emily and we will be starting the first in a three-part series of making science news palatable. Sometimes science news, especially peer-reviewed journals, can seem so extraneous and long and boring, but there's so much information that is relevant to us and our personal lives that we miss out on because it's written in this extensive language. This week's topic is asthma. So our first episode focuses on a disease that embodies the environmental health movement, asthma. When discussing environmental triggers of diseases or how public health is impacted by the environment, scientists and researchers have to mention asthma. I mean, today we're going to explain we're going to explain to you some new scientific findings about asthma that will make you rethink everything you thought you know about this disease. So, Emily, what is asthma? So, according to the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, asthma is a chronic disease classified by inflamed or swollen airways. This creates difficulties with breathing as the airways become narrowed, making it difficult to transport air from the nose to the lungs. Asthma is usually diagnosed through symptoms of shortness of breath, wheezing, coughing, and tightness in the chest. And these symptoms are commonly triggered through allergens like pollen, uh, pet dander, dust, mold, and insects. But, I mean, especially for those of you with asthma, you probably know that asthma symptoms can be triggered by infectious uh, infections or diseases like bronchitis, tonsillitis, or the flu. In addition to this, air pollution secondhand smoke, and changes in the weather can all trigger asthma symptoms within a population. So just to give you guys some numerical values, approximately 25 million people in the United States have asthma. That's about 1 in 13 people. So if you're a high school or college student and your class size of 30, there's probably 2 to 3 people with asthma. Asthma is a lot more common in female adults than male adults. And around 9.8% of female adults have asthma, compared to 6.1% of male adults. Asthma is more common in male children than female children. Around 8.4% of male children have asthma, compared to 5.5% of female children. But asthma truly impacts children the greatest, as currently there are about 5.1 million children under the age of 18 with asthma. So on each episode of this podcast, we're going to be talking about a new peer-reviewed paper that has come out and that is of interest to us and should be of interest to you guys. So can you take us through the intro of this paper? So this paper we're going to be focusing on for this episode is called Associations of Emergency Department Visits for Asthma with Precipitation and Temperature on Thunderstorm Days, a time series analysis of data from Louisiana um, from 2010 to 2012 by leading author Park and it was published in the Environmental Health Perspectives Journal. And the whole premise of the paper is connecting thunderstorms on days with high precipitation and lower temperatures to increase emergency room visits related to asthma symptoms. This conclusion was reached from an analysis of emergency department visits in Louisiana from 2010 to 2012. But how exactly are thunderstorms triggering asthma symptoms? while precipitation increases the amount of pollen and mold spores in the atmosphere. And another super interesting aspect of the paper is that thunderstorms with lightning activity harm asthma patients as lightning causes pollen fragments to become positively charged, allowing them to be carried back to the ground level by precipitation and descending cool air during these thunderstorms. 
That is absolutely insane. Like, if you think about it, it takes into account one physics because, well, chemistry because of particle charges and like the transference of electric energy. And it also takes into account health. And this is a perfect example of how health is related to environment, like the environment. Like, environmental health is also your health, right? And so now that we've explained the paper, Personally, my key takeaway after reading this paper was more questions about the weather events and asthma, and importantly, most importantly, since this paper reached its conclusion from an analysis of Louisiana weather and hospital visits, I'm thinking, like, how would it be if we analyzed other areas with frequent thunderstorms, or is this unique to the weather in Louisiana? Starting with, of course, with Louisiana's history, I'm thinking that it has to be related to climate change. I'm aware of the risks faced by coastal communities, and this is a big part of Emily's research especially. Um, so the prime example that we also discussed um, before this was 2005's Hurricane Katrina. Massive amounts of flooding were experienced by New Orleans, which allowed hazardous materials to seep into the soil and waterways, and the air quality was extremely poor, public health was at an all-time low, uh, a paper by Samantha Waddell further explores the health impacts of hurricanes classified through the direct impacts of pollutants and contaminants, and then indirect impacts. So indirect impacts are things you might not think about because these things happened either as after effects of the hurricane or happen as a result of different circumstances of the hurricane. So this includes uh, infrastructure damage, like losing one's home, that produces stress for people, which causes health concerns like substance abuse, because, you know, stress is a cause of disease. Perhaps the most shocking fact from Model's findings was that the most adverse health impacts peak within six months following hurricanes, which is weird. Yeah, because hurricanes aren't just harmful when they're happening. The health impacts last six months to years later, and a lot of people in New Orleans still... Um, don't have their permanent dwellings. So they're wow. still experiencing um, a lot of these social changes. Um, and that was 2005, so that was, what, more than, like, 15 years yeah. ago? Um, so now we're going to just circle back to asthma. And hurricanes, which are represented by heavy flooding, produce contaminants and pollutants, which are mold, dust, and air pollution. And these are all factors that contribute to asthma symptoms. And the EPA warns that in the coming decades, climate change will impact Louisiana by warmer weather, increased flooding, sea level rise, and most importantly, the threat of more tropical storms. Park's paper does not specifically mention the link between thunderstorms and hurricanes, but it is hard to ignore how climate change will cause the occurrence of both to increase at a greater frequency and intensity, most likely leading to more asthma attacks and hospital visits. In fact, from 2010 to 2012, when Park's data was obtained. Louisiana experienced about 25 extreme weather events, including tornadoes, tropical storms, and flash floods, all of which are associated with asthma triggers. When thinking about like the relationship between these extreme weather events and asthma, I can't help but think about other extreme weather events that influence health. Like For example, even when we think about extreme events that happen in wartime or extreme events that are human-caused, like, for example, bombings, these impacts on an environment really do affect the people around for decades to come because 
we're talking about something that happened all the way back in 2005. It's 2022. Like, it's absolutely insane that some people don't still have their permanent dwellings and, like, mm-hmm. housing is a crisis. What do you think about that? And this paper shows that this isn't over. Hurricane Katrina didn't just happen in 2005 and then New Orleans and Louisiana never experienced another storm again. From 2010 to 2012, this is when we saw the occurrence of 25 extreme weather events, you know, classified by climate change. So not only do we have people who lost their homes and had severe health conditions following Katrina in 2005, but then five years later, you have tornadoes, tropical storms, and flash flooding. So we still have this um, major public health event that even once New Orleans can build itself up, there's always a threat of another storm coming Mm -hmm. and causing more and more disaster. Yeah, and with these oncoming threats, I think it's super important for governments to be able to acknowledge climate change and its existence because a lot of people are still in denial that um, it's occurring and it's occurring at a faster rate than it ever has before. Um, So because we have these imminent changes, we need to prepare to accommodate for people who are living in those areas and to aid them in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need to focus on sustainable infrastructure, as well as making sure that in these ter- in these um, times of disaster, that we have the appropriate resources um, for everyone that's going to be affected. So that yeah. means evacuating at the right time, providing food and water to people who were forced to shelter in place and can't get out, and relying on our um, emergency um response teams that are put in place for these situations. Yes, and it's really important that um, emergency response teams and healthcare workers, as well as other um, people involved in social work, are aware of what to do during disasters like this, and especially in the aftermath, because preparing beforehand can have such a better outcome for the aftermath. So all of this information seems, to put it simply, extremely overwhelming. But there are treatments out there for asthma. So we're bringing it back to asthma because that is what the episode is about. And we want to help you understand, if you do have asthma, what you can do to keep the power in your hands. So once you understand what exactly your asthma triggers are, you can work around them. Keep track of your triggers and what strategies you can implement to help prevent asthma attacks. And create a safe space for you where triggers are not present. Government agencies are actively working to monitor asthma, including the CDC's Environmental Public Health Tracking Network, which acts to identify interventions and policies to protect public health. In addition to this, the Head Off Environmental Asthma in Louisiana, so HEAL study, tracked the impact of a post-Katrina environment on children with asthma ages 4 to 12, hoping to better understand the impact specific weather events have on asthmatic children. Despite the majority of this episode being focused on Louisiana, asthma is a global issue. Everyone has a connection to asthma. This issue in Louisiana is apparent in our own backyard here in New York. We Act for Environmental Justice works to empower and organize low-income people of color to build healthy communities for all. Black adults have the highest rate of asthma in the United States. And black children are three times as more likely to have asthma as compared to white children. Asthma is not just a public health crisis, but a human rights crisis. Organizations like We Act 
were started because people of color often live in areas that experience extreme pollution, leading to health impacts like asthma. Historically, predominantly black communities like West Harlem and New Orleans face living in unhealthy homes. In fact, one of WEAC's projects that compared asthma rates in four U.S. cities and defined New Orleans as the moldy city, WEAC states that following Katrina, deprivations of food, shelter, sanitation, safe drinking water, social exclusion, lack of education, unemployment, and low income all contribute to negative health effects on children with asthma in New Orleans. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tea and Tangents with Tara. We hope to see you on the next part of our three-part series. So we'll see you on the next one.